Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. As well. well, I'm glad you're here tonight, and uh, I might have scared some off, but I didn't scare you off. All right. If you want to follow along in the Church Center app, you can do so. There are notes in the What's Next tab. That's there for you. And of course, we are in uh, part two tonight of our series called A Biblical View of Gender or Sexuality and Gender. And we're continuing this tonight. We will wrap up uh, next Wednesday night. But uh, for those who weren't here last Wednesday, uh, the focus of our study last week was on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, the word body or bodies is mentioned eight times in, in that passage. And so the Lord is just really underscoring the importance uh, that he places on our bodies. And a lot of times, and the majority of the times around here, I'm going to tell you, we deal with the inner man, right? And, and matters, matters of, uh, of the heart, matters of attitudes, matters of, of motives, ma- motives, matters of, of in, in, inner things. And... Uh, but, but the Lord kind of lets us know in that passage that the body is, is important as well and that you don't need to disregard what you do with your body. So that was a recurring theme that we saw there. And, and, and based on, on that also, we, we read that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. And so because these containers of our contain, you know, a, a treasure, as the Bible says, in earthen vessels, we need to be cognizant of how we're treating our bodies, what we're doing with our bodies, how we're presenting our bodies because we indeed, as spirit-filled believers, we are temples of the Holy Ghost. So if you missed last week, there's no way that I can really give you a good recap of last week. There's just too much. And so I'm going to direct you uh, to our, our media archives. You can go to YouTube and search for our page there, or you can go to our website or Facebook, and it is there for you. So let me just kind of restate this before getting into the meat of things tonight, but just want to remind you what our purpose is and the reason that we're doing this. This, this is a, a, a redemptive effort. Amen? And uh, it, it's not to denigrate people. Uh, this is an effort to address an ever-encroaching uh, issue in, in our lives and in our world and our culture, and that's the nature of sin. Sin is never satisfied. Sin is never satisfied. And so let me just say one more time that our, our enemy is not people. We love people. As a matter of fact, that's a part of our vision. We love God. We love people. And, it, you know, listen, we can't make a difference if we don't love people. So we've got to love people, and that means love the people who are like you, love the people who agree with you, love the people who aren't like you, love the people who disagree with you. Amen. Love, you need to, you need to love all. Love, love your neighbor, the Bible says, as yourself. And so that is what this is about. People are not our enemy. We're coming against sin. The problem is sin. Amen. And people get caught up in it because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And so our, our enemies not people. We love people, but 
even that being said, we must adhere to truth. Regardless of the choices that people make, whether people are making good choices or bad choices, that, that, should, not, that should not influence what we believe. What's going on with our coworkers shouldn't influence what we believe. What's going on with the family member should not change what we believe. We need to adhere to truth regardless. So another reason that we're doing this is we want to offer hope to anyone who may be caught up in some of the kind of lifestyles that we're talking about. We want to offer hope in the midst of the confusion of our culture. Another thing is that I, I, I want the church to be equipped because, listen, we are going to deal with this. This issue is not going away. This, this isn't just the current headlines and, and you know, it's going to kind of have a couple news cycles and then be replaced by something else. This is not going away. The issue of sexuality and gender, we're, we're stuck with it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be this way from here on out. And so we've got to know a little bit about what's going on. We've got, we've got to know so we can make a difference, so that we can be informed to help someone when given the opportunity. So let's, let's take a look at what is currently happening in our culture. When it, when it comes to, to gender, our culture has begun to move away from the truth that was set forth in creation. And this truth that, that I talked about last week that was set forth in creation is that there's two genders. There's male and there's female, end of story. That's how God created us. And this truth right here, this is foundational to us as believers. If you think that what we're talking about this week is just kind of peripheral and is just kind of, you know, uh, maybe of interest to some, what we're talking about here, this is foundational. And if we give up on this, if we compromise on this, We're not going to be able to find another place to stand. This is foundational. This is non-negotiable. According to the word of God, according to the creation account, there are two genders. And any attempt to erode this, any attempt to undermine, any attempt to redefine this is an affront to the very foundation of us having a biblical worldview. In any, any attempt to say, you know what, this is a mistake. God made a mistake. This is wrong. The word of God is inaccurate. Any attempt to come against and to break that down, it's going to be very hard to hold on to a biblical belief system. So in the place of this biblical belief system, which is two genders, and there's male and female, listen, what, what is now being encouraged in the culture is an acceptance of an ever-growing list of gender combinations and gender possibilities. Basically, if you feel it, if you think it, if you can communicate it, then you are encouraged to identify as whatever it is that you feel. Listen, it used to be that a person's sex and their gender were considered to be synonymous. 
That's kind of the way it has been for most of us as we've grown up, that sexuality and gender, they, they went together, that they were, they were synonymous terms, and that was established at birth when you were born and the doctor pronounced, it's a boy, or they announced, it's, it's a girl, then, then sexuality and gender were tied together. But in the last 20 years, that has radically changed. And now it's being declared that gender is different than sexuality. That gender and sexuality are not synonymous, that they're not the same thing. And while genetic factors typically define one's sex, now gender really, here's what gender is. Gender really refers to how a person identifies on the inside. And only that person, themselves, them and them alone, can determine what their gender identity is. That's what our society says. That's what's going on in our world. Gender and sexuality are not synonymous anymore. And that's why the use of identifying pronouns is being encouraged the way that it is because it is based on the premise that we should not assume somebody's gender solely based on their appearance. That we should not assume someone's gender based on the outward indicators. And so as you are introduced to someone, they give you their name as well as their preferred pronouns. This is happening in our schools already. Can, can some parents say amen out there? This is happening. This is widespread. This is accept, an accepted practice at the college and university level. I've got one girl in college and one that just graduated from college. I'm going to tell you this is there. They face this every single day. People introduce themselves. They give their name, and immediately they follow up by sharing their preferred pronouns. My name is this. My preferred pronouns are this and that. Listen, I don't know about you. I have a hard enough time remembering people's names. I don't know how compliant I'm going to be on that. Actually, I do. But for starters tonight, from a scientific, let's just talk it before we even get to the Bible. From a scientific standpoint, let's, let's talk about what makes a person biologically male or female. What makes you a man or a woman? Because we can define it. First, there's the issue of anatomy. Males and females have very different anatomies. Nod your head at me so I don't feel like I have to go into a lot of detail and make you uncomfortable. <laughs> Females have ovaries, uteruses. Last time I checked, guys don't have that. So that means that men cannot be birthing persons. Men can't give birth. That's not what men do. That's what women, that's what God created women to do. Women have higher levels of a hormone called estrogen. Men have higher levels of what is known as testosterone. There's differences. At the very cellular level, there are differences when it comes to chromosomes. Females have XX chromosomes and men have XY. 
It is so deep. Our gender is so deep. It's even recognizable at the cellular level. I could go on and on. I could talk about numerous additional differences, but I believe that the majority of this audience tonight is well aware, so I'm just going to stop there. But men and women are different. Males and females, we are created different. Both awesome, both incredible, both beautiful, but distinct and different. Again, in some sectors, science is lauded as the end-all, be-all. And we are encouraged, and over the last few years, we have been encouraged to follow the science. But science becomes inconvenient when it comes to the topic we're dealing with. When we're dealing with sexuality, when we're dealing with gender, science is set aside in favor of accommodation. Again, church, it used to be accepted that sex and gender were synonymous, but in today's secular society, the preferred view is that a person's gender identity is based on their own personal sense of self. This is how I feel. This is how I see myself, and so this is how I'm going to identify. So people that maybe aren't male will identify as a male. People who aren't female will identify as a female, and some will identify as both. Maybe they're attracted to both. They're bisexual or, or, or even neither or some other combination of these gender identifiers. As a matter of fact, some of you will remember this, but, you know, it just kind of started off with LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual. And, and then it went to LGBT, transsexual, then LGBT. Q, queer, right? And that kind of was the catch-all there at the end. But now it's continued on, LGBTQI, which is intersexual, and A, which is asexual. Don't, don't really claim sex at all. And then you got the plus sign out here because it goes on and on and on and on. I believe that there's up to 72 now. You know how many letters are in the alphabet? There's only 26, so we got to stop with the plus sign. So I've seen, I have seen others, though, where it's LGBTQIA, the number two plus, because some people identify as two-spirited. And, and, and so this, this is where we are, and we see, the evo, we see the evolution of things. And once again, th this is the product of, of sin because sin is never satisfied. Sin is, you know what, you, you could say, okay, go, go over and live your life the way you want to live. Go over and do what you want to do, and we, we'll leave you alone. We won't mess with you. But really, that's not the nature of sin. The nature of sin is to pull others in. The nature of sin is to make you feel bad for you trying to live a holy life and, and to get you to the point where you accept and even condone sin. That's the nature of sin. So that being said, let's, let's talk a little bit about the subject of transgenderism because really that's the term that, that is really being floated around a whole lot in this, in this day. Tran transgender is in many aspects, it's kind of become the catch-all. Where, where queer was the catch-all for a while, transgenderism really has kind of become the catch-all for the various ways that people experience conflict between their biological sex, between their sexuality, and their gender identity. 
And so the primary belief of the transgender community is that sex and gender are not synonymous, that they're different. They would say that a person's gender, rather than their biological sex, is the basis for, which a per, for what a person's identity is built upon. It's their, it's their gender. It's what they, how they see themselves. That's where identi- their identity should come from. And so thus, a, a person can be biologically female, but if they feel that they are a male or they want to live their life as a male, then they should act like a male and even change their biological anatomy to reflect, to mirror their inner self. And listen, this is being promoted in culture like, like never before. It's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. If you're paying attention, you're seeing it. It's in everything. It is moving into our culture at a very rapid pace. As a matter of fact, children's programming is currently shaping what the next generation is going to believe. Children's programming, not adult programming, children's programming is currently shaping what the next generation is going to look like. So parents, hear me, hear me loud and clear. You better be engaged. You cannot afford to not be engaged, to know what your kids are watching. It may seem innocent, but you better be engaged. You better be checking. You better be, you better be looking. You better be researching because what is happening is that they are, they are mixing their message into what appears to be docile and, and, and innocent. They're, they're mixing it into the characters. In an article that I've read uh, leading up to tonight, it says that currently there are 70 children's programs. This is talking about media and TV. 70 children's programs featuring 259 characters that are not the typical gender but have a variety of various gender identities. Kids programming. Children's programming. We, we, I alluded to Disney, I believe, last week, but there, there is an agenda afoot. They're, they're, they're changing things to, to fit this agenda. Toy makers are even getting into the action. As you may have heard recently, Hasbro recently converted Mr. Potato Head to just Potato Head. It's no mister anymore. And you may be thinking, what's the big deal? That's just a toy. Well, that's exactly what they want you to think. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? This is just, this is just, this is just, you know, showing tolerance. This, this is just being respectful. But listen, I want you to know that it is an effort, an all-out effort to remove traditional gender references from our society. Something seemingly as subtle as doing away with Mr. Potato Head. We want to take away these traditional gender identities. Educators are getting into the act as well. They're taking kids on gender exploration journeys without parental consent. So are the medical professionals. They're they're being a part of this. Two weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine shared that a mother and a daughter in his church, they went to the doctor because this little girl was sick, and the doctor began to interact, and the doctor began to assess the situation by asking the child some questions. And one of the questions the doctor asked this child, this little girl, she asked her, what is your gender? She's got her medical charts. She saw what the girl looked like. 
But this doctor asked this girl, what is your gender? And upon hearing this, the mother chimed in, she's a girl. And the doctor looked at her and said, I wasn't talking to you. That's where we are. We better take this serious. We, we better understand what's going on in our world. Sin doesn't get any better. The enemy is out for the next generation. He's out for your sons and daughters. He's out for your, your grandsons and granddaughters. God help us. Listen, and that, that's where confusion is introduced when it's talked about in school, when it's talked about by the doctors, when they see it in the programming and the little kids' minds are trying to sort this out. That, that's why we will, we will have more and more confusion begin to manifest amongst the kids of our nation because children are being, being encouraged to think about and to question something that is foundational. They're being encouraged to question about themselves something that we grew up in just a given. I'm a boy. You're a girl. In a related news story, Sarah Gonzalez, she's, she's an advocate, and, and recently she was in the news for speaking out. Listen to this. She was in the news for speaking out against a drag queen show right here in Plano where sexual dancing took place in front of kids. Men dressed up as women in very provocative clothing, dancing in front of kids. And she's catching flack for things she said. Here's, here's one of the things that Sarah Gonzalez says. She says, what is the best way to confuse children? Confuse them about their sexuality. Confuse them about their gender. Expose them to things that their little brains are not ready for yet. She's doing everything she can to come against this agenda, but that's the agenda. That's it right there to see, to sow seeds of confusion. So the real question for us tonight is, what, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We've talked a little bit about science. I'm going to get back to science in a minute, but what, what, what does the Bible say about sexuality? What does it say about gender? I read Genesis 127 last week, so I won't read it again tonight. But once again, you know, the Lord created us in his image. Male and female, he created us, and that's it. There's no other gender, gender options. There's not 72, there's two. And according to Scripture, sexuality should follow gender. Sexuality and gender should be synonymous. So, you know, I mean, you, 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 may, you may be thinking, well, that, that's just Old Testament. You know, Genesis, that's just the book of Genesis. Well, you know what, Jesus himself kind of affirmed what was said in the, in the Old Testament. And, and here, here's what he said in Matthew 19, verse 4. He said, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus reinforced this. Jesus underscored this in the New Testament. But what the enemy wants to do is to sow seeds of confusion. What the enemy wants to do is to destroy our God-given identity. You were made the way you were made by a loving creator. You were made the way that you were made by a loving God. 
And the enemy wants to confront that. The enemy wants to confuse that. The enemy wants to undo that. He wants to get us to a place that we don't ever truly understand who we really are. Because if you don't understand who you really are, you'll never wind up fulfilling God's purpose for your life. It's foundational. It all goes together. So the enemy was out to confuse. Here, here's what Genesis 1.28 says. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Created a male and female, said, be fruitful and multiply. You see, church, God had a purpose in creating us male and female. And part of that purpose is for us to fill the earth. Part of that purpose is for us to multiply. That's what he created us to do. He created us to reproduce. And when our world embraces another gender construct, women with women, men with men, or some other kind of arrangement, then the ability to multiply is lost. And over time, rather than having multiplication, you know what we're going to have? We're going to have subtraction. God's design is multiplication. God's design is to flourish. But the enemy's design, it's always to take away. It's always to steal. It's always to kill. It's always to destroy. Some say that what the apostle Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 3, that it's an example that, you know what, male and female really isn't that important. Let's go there. Let's look at it. Galatians 3, 26 and through 28 says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But you got to know tonight, church, you got to, you got to, if you want to use the Bible, use it in context. Don't, don't try to twist it. Don't try to misconstrue it. Don't, don't, don't try to get it to say something you want it to say to serve your purpose. And that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying gender isn't important. He's not saying sexuality doesn't matter. This, this passage isn't suggesting that biology and that anatomy do not matter. What he's saying here is that in Christ, it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or if you're free. In Christ, we are all one. We are all united. We are all loved. We're all a part of the same body. That's, that's what it's saying. Listen, here, here's some more of what science, here's some more of what science says on on the issue of gender dysphoria and transgender issues. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal back, back in uh, February of 2020. It says in humans, as in most animals or plants, just kind of following it all the way down, right? And organisms, biological sex corresponds to one of two, everybody say two, two distinct types of reproductive anatomy. In humans, reproductive anatomy is unambiguously male or female at birth. In other words, you know. Doctor doesn't have to say, hey, nurses, let me get some of my friends on a, on a video call. What do we have here? What do we want to call this? 
No, it's unambiguous. It's male or it's female. Catch this. A lot of times, you know, when we have these kind of conversations, people want to take you to the extreme case. They want to take you to the what ifs. Well, what about, you know, somebody that was born this way or that way? And I talked about that last week, that there are, there are infirmities, right? There, there are things that happen that, that are the result of sin. But Brother Sargent was here a couple weeks ago, and he didn't have a fully developed arm, right? And so there are some things, there are exceptions to the rule. I get that. But catch this. This article says more than 99.98% of the time, no third type of sex cell exists in humans, and therefore there's no such thing as a sex spectrum. It's A or B. It's male or it's female. There's no such thing as additional sexes beyond male and female. Sex is binary. There's two options. It's male and it's female. Sounds pretty absolute, doesn't it? So you know what? The Bible and science agree on this. The science and the Bible are not opposed on this. They come together on this. There is male and there is female. So what then should a person do who is maybe struggling with gender dysphoria? If you'll allow me to kind of introduce some societal stereotypes for a minute. I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive in any way, but I mean, what, 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 if, a, what if a growing up, a girl, what if she didn't like playing with dolls but preferred to play you know, toys that the boys typically did or preferred to play sports than dolls, right? Maybe, maybe she's, a, as we would say, a tomboy, right? What, 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 if, what, if a, what if a young man, a young boy growing up doesn't like sports or doesn't like the outdoors and, and preferred to stay inside and maybe, maybe, maybe cook or read? Listen, that's just part of growing up. And, and just because a child doesn't embrace all of the stereotypes does not mean that they're experiencing gender dysphoria. And it does not mean that, hey, because she doesn't play with dolls, that maybe she now should begin investigating the under gen- other gender because maybe she's a boy trapped in a girl's body. It's not what it means. Are you, are you with me on this? But this is the issue for Generation Z, the current young generation. This is the issue for the parents of Generation Z. Listen, and this is a massive thing that you're going to be facing. A recent Gallup poll, a recent Gallup poll said 5.6% of adults identify as LGBT. That's up from 4.5% in 2019. Just a couple years ago, it's already jumped a whole percent. Okay, now watch this. 16% of Generation Z identify themselves as A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You see the difference? 5.6 of adults to this current generation, 16%. Breaks my heart. It ought to break all of our hearts. 
It ought to stir us up. It ought to bring us to our knees in prayer. So in other words, Generation Z is in increasingly becoming sexually fluid, sexually amorphous, without definition. Molly Cyrus, the entertainer, put it this way, I don't relate to being a boy or a girl, and I don't have to have my partner relate to being a boy or a girl. A Brown University professor who came under fire uh, you know, by the LGBT community said this, rapid onset gender dysphoria among teens and among young adults may be a social contagion linked with having friends who identify as LGBT, may be linked also to identity politics. Politics plays a role in this. Politicians, listen, they're not above using anything for their benefit. It may also be credited to peer culture and an increase in Internet use. In other words, the reason that children, the reason that young people begin to question their identity is because what they see others around them doing. And it's like a virus. This professor from Brown said it's a social contagion. That's why it's spreading so fast, because it's being talked about at school. That's why it's spreading so fast, because it's in the programming for our kids. That's why it's being talked about in school, because they hear of their friends talking about it. And the seed is planted, and they begin to wonder. I'm going to read a couple stories to you. I'm not going to put it on the screen. (laughs) Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called Embodied that I've been reading through. And in this book, he tells a story of a girl named Stephanie. And I hope that will help illustrate what we're talking about here. Stephanie grew up as a stereotypically feminine girl on the autism spectrum. When she was 13 years old, she told her mother that she was transgender, 13. Stephanie's declaration seemed to come out of nowhere for her mother. There had been no previous history of gender dysphoria, no tomboyish interest or behavior. Her mother did, however, find out that Stephanie had just heard a presentation about being transgender at school. A school where over 5% of the student population identified as transgender or non-binary. Her mother, Carol, took Stephanie to a gender clinic. This is not a Christian family. She took her her daughter to a gender clinic to seek counsel. And here's what Carol said the clinician told her at the gender clinic. She told her, you must refer to your daughter with masculine pronouns. Call her by a masculine name. Buy her a binder to flatten her breasts. He recommended no therapy and there was no consideration of the social factors that could have contributed to her new way of thinking. Carol said, I was directed to put her on puberty-blocking drugs. She then added, I was falsely assured that these drugs were well-studied and that they were perfectly, a perfectly safe way for my daughter to explore her gender. And I was told that if I did not comply with this, I would be putting my daughter at a higher risk of suicide. 
same book. Another story. Helena was 14 when she felt that she might be attracted to both boys and girls. She began to explore what this might mean for her through the online community. On a website, social site called Tumblr, it was there that she learned about various gender identities. She read story after story of people identifying as trans. Eventually, she started relating to the story. She began identifying herself as trans. Helena learned on Tumblr that taking testosterone was the next step she had to take as a trans person. So she began cross-hormone therapy, or CHT. She found that getting testosterone was easy. All it took was a one-hour consultation with a counselor who asked her about her dysphoria. Looking back on it, Helena said, I had all of these rehearsed answers that I didn't genuinely believe. But it's really popular for the trans community to help each other rehearse answers and to tell each other what to tell the doctors. Helena was on CHT for two years, and it wasn't long before problems began popping up. She said it's a common thing for women on testosterone to experience a lot of anger. <laughs> Who knew those things were connected? Then there's the weird phenomena where you can get upset and you want to cry, but you can't. And eventually, these kinds of problems started getting more apparent. And Helena says that she started feeling miserable. I was angry all the time. Everything made me angry. I felt like I'd been put through the ringer with all of these emotional changes. It really messed with my mental health. Helena also learned that high doses of testosterone in females often cause their ovaries and uterus to atrophy. So after about five years, Helena was, miserably, was miserable emotionally, physically, and mentally. And at some point, she remembers that she just had to say that it was not working. And ultimately, she decided to detransition back to a female. Listen, the media promotion of all things trans has created a significant jump and gender dysphoria, especially among females. The Tavistock Center, this, this is a gender clinic in London. They, they treated 17 females for gender dysphoria in 2009. In 2019, they treated 1,740. It's exploding. That's a 5,000% increase in 10 years. Church, this is a real problem. This is a problem that's not, not going away, so we've got to talk about it. We've got to know about it. We've got to pray about it. We've got to, we've got to reach the next generation with truth or they're going to believe a lie. We've got to reach our sons and daughters with truth or the world's going to reach them. Now let me finish with a little more of what the Bible has to say. Leviticus 18.22, do not practice homosexuality having sex with another man as with a woman. It is a detestable sin. The King James takes this right here, detestable sin, and says it is an abomination to God. 
Some people say, well, you know what, that's Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals, and we don't do that anymore. So why, why do you pull a verse in from the Old Testament? Why do you pull a verse in from Leviticus and try to suggest that it's applicable today? Listen, when, when we approach Old Testament laws, we need to understand there's three basic types of Old Testament laws. And I'm going put to put this on the screen here for you. There's civil laws, there's ceremonial laws, and there's moral laws. When you're talking about the Old Testament laws, they fit into one of these three categories. So let me kind of bring this to bear. Civil laws, these were laws that governed the nation of Israel. They're specific to Israel. How they were supposed to divide up their property, how they were supposed to penalize crimes and organize their government. So that those were civil laws, all right? And then the second type of law in the Old Testament, ceremonial laws. This is how sacrifices were to be made, how holidays were to be celebrated, and how worship was to be offered to God at that time. And then finally, there's what's known as moral laws. These are laws reflecting the holiness and the morality of God and his eternal will for human beings. Here's what I want you to catch. The first two categories, civil and ceremonial, civil and ceremonial laws were fulfilled and they were perfected with the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. He came. He's the fulfillment of the law. Ceremonial, civil, done away with in Jesus Christ. But God's moral law reflects God's holy moral nature. And his holy nature will never, ever change. So a moral law is truth, regardless of the generation, regardless of the time frame, regardless of the dispensation, regardless of the person, regardless of the culture. It does not change. And so when Leviticus said to practice homosexuality is an abomination to God, that remains to where we are today. That was not done away with in Jesus. That's a part of the moral law, not the civil or the ceremonial so God's position there in Leviticus 18.22 is for today and it's forever. But let, let's do go to the New Testament. Probably the most important text in the New Testament about sexuality, taking gender and, and blurring the lines is found in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to read a lot here. I'm going to put it on two different, got it put on two different slides. Here, here's what it says beginning in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But they're thinking. Everybody say they're thinking. Thinking got messed up. It became futile and their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise. That's what it is. So many are claimed to be enlightened right now. They, they know better and we're, we're the ones who are archaic. and We're the ones who are stuck in the past. Claimed to be wise, they became they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They exchanged God's way for images made to look like mortal human beings. This is talking about idolatry, made to look like birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to do to what? To sexual impurity. He gave them over to that. 
for the degrading of their bodies. Everybody say bodies. Talking about our bodies again. For the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served creative things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, here's what God did. God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged their natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, and they were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for this error. Remember, like I said last last Wednesday night, the sins of the body, they're different than other sins. They come with other consequences. They come with additional consequences. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. In other words, because they didn't want to live according to God's ways. Because they didn't want to live according to God's commandments. Because they didn't want to live according to God's patterns. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. There's two phrases that are significant in this text. And the first one is this one right here in verse 24. Gave them over. Did you catch that that was said a few times? Two, two phrases that are really significant that I want to kind of focus in for, for a minute. In verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Okay, and then verse 26, because of this, what did God do? He gave them over. He gave them over to their shameful lust. And then here we see it again in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they didn't think it worthwhile to retain God in their knowledge, so God, he gave them over, gave them over to a depraved mind. Church, here's the point that I'm trying to make. The worst case scenario in your life is not that God will get you. That's not the worst thing that could happen. The worst case scenario for us is that that God will let you go. That he will release you. That he will give you over. That he will let you have what your flesh wants. That's the worst case scenario. You see, Paul was saying here that God's anger is revealed when God gives us over to whatever our rebellious hearts are pursuing. God's just judgment rests precisely in this, in, in this thing right here that we're seeing, that God will let you have what you want. The second key word that we find in Romans chapter 1, we see it here in verse 22 and 23, it's the word exchanged. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They, they exchange it. And then we see it in verse 25. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And then we see it here in verse 26. Even their women exchanged the natural sexual relations. And then because of the exchange, Paul said this in verse 27. The same way the men did the same thing. They're an exchange. What, what is natural 
what should be male and female and opposites in sexual relations inside of the marriage context. They exchanged it for women with women and men with men. They exchanged the truth for a lie. They exchanged God's way for their way. They exchanged glory for foolishness. Can I say this? Brother Connor, would you come? Sadly, for those who pursue transitioning from one gender to another, instead of them gaining fulfillment, instead of them gaining meaning and purpose, I've read so much leading up to last week and today, and so, so many times, rather than them being fulfilled, the suicide rates amongst those who have transitioned is actually much higher. Up to, up to 40% is the numbers that I'm reading right now. So rather than it bringing them closer to who they were created to be, it actually takes them further from what God purposed for them to be in the beginning. Would you stand with me? So what should our response be? I know this is heavy. But what should our response be? The Apostle Paul offers what I believe to be the very best strategy for relating to anyone, but especially for people who have fallen short from God's purpose and ideal. And it's Paul's strategic advice for all human relations and all situations And it extends to what I'm talking about tonight. Those who are confused, those who are living an alternative lifestyle, this, what I'm getting ready to show you, extends to them as well. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 8. Love never fails. How should you respond? Love never fails. It's not love is successful in some Settings with some people? No, love never fails. So how should we respond as a church? Love never fails. Listen, if I have a same-sex couple come and ask me to marry them, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. We, we can't offer everyone marriage we can't offer everyone love. You may be thinking, well, Pastor, I, I'm just, I just can't deal with them. I, I, I just can't. Somebody else has to. I don't know how to relate to people from the LGBTQ community. I, I, I don't know how to relate. I don't know what to do. I don't know how, how to handle myself. What would you do if you encountered a Muslim? What what would you do if you encountered a Hindu? Paul says, have you tried love? Because it never fails. Love is always the great strategy when you don't know what to do towards somebody else. We find ourselves in all kinds of situations, and how should I respond, and how should I handle this? The answer that's never wrong It's never, ever wrong. You will never go wrong by showing and extending love. Love doesn't mean that you condone. Love doesn't mean that you approve. Love means I care about 
and it never fails. C.S. Lewis said this. There is someone that I love, even though I don't approve of what he does. There's someone that I accept, though some of his thoughts and actions revolt me. There is someone I forgive, though he hurts the people I love the most. That person is me. So we ought to have plenty practice with showing love to others because we continue to love ourselves and we know better than anybody else our faults and our failures and our weaknesses and our shortcomings. Yet we continue to love ourselves and we should. You can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. So if you can love yourself, you've got to find a way to love somebody else. Here's how I want us to end tonight. I want us to end with prayer. Would you join me in praying for the next generation in our church? Would you join me in praying for our sons and daughters? Come on, would you join me in praying a prayer of covering over our kids and our young people and our young adults? Hallelujah, church, we've got to get involved. One of, the, one of the greatest, most powerful things that we can do is to be intercessors and to pray and to plead the blood. So come on, as we close this service out tonight, can we focus our energy, can we focus our attention on the next generation? Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.